upon them. But let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And thank you for everyone who's here today, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, may you minister to our hearts. For those who are hurting, may you comfort them. For those who are going through difficulties in life and struggles, Lord, may you bless them. For those that don't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, you be glorified. If you don't show up today, this is a waste of time. So pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So this morning we're continuing the letter James wrote to the early church. James, as we know, was, an, was a, used mildly by God. He was basically the pastor over the church in Jerusalem at the time who because of persecution had been scattered. So he's writing this letter to them of practical ways to live by faith. If you had to come up with a theme for James, it would be live by faith. You know, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And in faith without works is dead. And so in the beginning, we saw the humility of James. We're going to talk about humility this morning. And James, though he is the brother of Jesus, you would not know it from this text, because even though he is the, the half-brother of Jesus, he grew up with Jesus, we know that his brothers and sisters, none of them believed until after Jesus rose from the dead. So even though they were raised with the Lord, and there's a lot of people like that. Well, I've been going to church my whole life. Well, guess what? Going to church won't save you any more than going to a donut shop makes you a cop. Amen? The reality is, the reality is that just because you show up doesn't mean you're saved. But we should be in church, we should be in fellowship, but it's not about a religion, it's about having a relationship with the Lord, amen? And James referred to himself as a bondservant. A bondservant is someone who is a slave by choice. The debt has been paid in full, I'm free to go, but I love my master so much that I want to stay. And guys, where else would we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who in the world else would we want to seek for counsel, wisdom, and direction? Who else died on the cross for us? That would be nobody. So aren't you so blessed? Isn't, isn't it just the most amazing gift in the world that we've been born again? We're new creations in Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've surrendered your life to him, you're going to heaven. Amen? And guys, there should be that peace and that joy that comes from that. Now, as he writes the letter, he begins off with talking about tribulation talking about the trials of life. The Bible tells us in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So all of us will go through trials. And I know many in this room are going through great trials right now. But here's the good news. The word there for trial, again, it says that there's patience, that God produces patience as we go through trials. It says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We've talked about this. No suffering is wasted. Whatever trials you may go through, God is going to use for his kingdom, for his glory. And as we always say, he cares more about your character than he does your comfort. God doesn't want you to be comfortable in this world because, guys, this is not home. Amen? And the rapture of the church, we're in rapture season. No one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the season, and that fig tree is blooming. Amen? And so we want to live every day in light of the fact that today could be the day. By the way, I believe what holds up us going to heaven is that last person who's supposed to get saved before the rapture comes. So if it's you, quit holding us up and get saved today. <laughs> Amen? Because I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready. Let's do it. So the, for trials there, he talks about patience. The word there is hoopamone. It means to stand under. So the trial you're going through is not a waste of time. The trial you're going through is something God is using ultimately for his glory and to mold you more into the image of his son. And we want to stand under it. We don't want to leave the trial too soon and miss out all that God has for us. Right after talking about trials, he talked about temptation. We talk about this repeatedly, bears repeating. Trials come from the Lord to grow us. Temptation comes from the enemy to draw us away. How many of you guys got tempted this week? Okay, if your hand's on up, you're not paying attention because you got tempted, okay? But here's the good news. With temptation, God makes a way of escape. And the same word there for standing is that same word, that hoopamone. See, when we go through trials, it prepares us to withstand temptation. See, the closer you are to the Lord, the more you can resist the devil, amen? And, and James even says, resist the devil and he will what? Flee. He'll flee from you. And so guess what? Satan is a defeated foe. 
Satan can't do anything. The devil can't make me do anything. Flip Wilson was wrong. Amen? And the reality is that we are new creations in Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and our God is greater. Now, Satan will tempt you. We've talked about the flesh and, and the world and the devil, how we saw that in James, that those are the three things that will draw us away from the Lord. And I think more often than it's Satan, it's just plain stinking us. Amen? And the last couple of weeks, we've talked about be doers of the word and not hearers only. See, it's one thing to know what the word says, and it's another thing to live it out. If, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? If our behavior isn't different on Monday than because of what we learned on Sunday, and by the way, when you are going through trials and you are going through difficulty or you're grieving like my family is or whatever it is you may be going through, I want to tell you where the greatest comfort comes from. Open up this book. Amen? Amen? And when we read the word of God, he comforts us, he encourages us, and he grows our faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's important that we just not read what the word says, but we live it out every day. And if you proclaim yourself to be a Christian, I promise you the world is watching. And they want to see how you respond in the midst of the trials of life. Two weeks ago, we looked at that small implement that can steer a ship, right? The tongue, right? We talked about how the tongue is something that can, can bring such heartache. The tongue can be used to praise God, but it can also be used to tear somebody down. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And then last week, at the beginning of James chapter 4, we began to talk about pride. We began to talk about humility. And we're going to look at that more this morning as we finish up the chapter. So if you have your outline, grab it. We're going to pick up this morning in James chapter 4, starting at verse 11. And I tell the message, the humble heart of heavenly wisdom. You know, as Christians, we should be humble. As Christians, we should not be people who are trying to put the focus on us. It's never about us, and it's always about him. Amen. Amen. And we live in a world that is very filled with pride and arrogance, and we hate it when we see it in other people but we all struggle with it to a certain degree. Can I get an amen to that? We all struggle with pride. We all are focused on ourselves way more than we should be. I used the illustration a couple weeks ago that when you got up this morning, you looked in the mirror, you assessed the damage, and you tried to do as much as you could to look better before you got here. Amen? Because we are focused on ourselves, but we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the rest of this stuff will take care of itself. Amen? When you wake up in the morning, our first thought shouldn't be gel for my hair, right? It should be Jesus. It should be, how do I spend my day with the Lord? We should be crying out to him, Lord, help. I'm going to need you today. Walk with me. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Mold me into the man or the woman of God that you want me to, day, to, to be. And give me divine appointments today. Let, make today account for eternity. May it have an impact. May all the angels in heaven rejoice at the end of today because someone came to know you. I just want to be a tool in the hand of the master. Amen? So this morning, the humble heart of heavenly wisdom. First, it speaks well of others. You heard me say it last week, prayer, praise. If you can't get, say something nice, shutty town. Amen? Just keep it to yourself right? But we as Christians, we should measure what comes out of our mouth because we've talked about this back in chapter three, the words don't slip out, they pour out from your heart. The Bible says that the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So if you're angry and you're bitter and you're, you're talking to somebody in a harsh or an angry way, you are not representing the Lord well, and it's a representation that your heart is not where it needs to be spiritually. Now, we all can struggle with that, we even talked about the fact that we can spin on a dime if we're not rocking in tight fellowship with the Lord. We can be driving along the road singing a praise song till a guy cuts you off and then you're not too happy. You go, praise the Lord, oh my soul, and then you're an idiot to the guy in front of you. And so there's that reality that, you know, Bible talks about can bitter and sweet water flow from the same fountain. And so it shouldn't be bitter water coming out of our mouths because we, you know, we have sweet water dwelling in our hearts and the person of the Holy Spirit, amen? And so the first thing we want to do is speak well of others, leaves judgment in God's hands. You know why we sometimes speak poorly of others? We judge them. Now, we'll talk about this in depth because the only verse my unsaved friends seem to know is, judge not lest she be judged. 
They love to bring that up if I talk to them. Hey, don't be judging me, man. Your Bible says, don't be judging me. Uh, that's not the context. We can judge sinful behavior, but we are not called to judge someone's eternal, where they're going to end up for eternity. Amen? Amen. Ultimately, that's up to the Lord, and, we're pr- and, that, and that is still not settled if they're walking around. Amen? And so what we do want to do is lovingly and graciously minister to people in a kind way, but we also as brothers and sisters in Christ, if you see me stumbling, I don't only invite you, I, I exhort you to call me out. But do it in a loving way and don't tell the whole church. Amen? <laughs> Too often, prayer request, gossip is, is disguised as a prayer request. Oh, you should see what happened. I just got to tell you everything about this person so you can pray for them. Hey, guys, Matthew 18, go to them one-on-one. Amen? So speak well of others. Number two, trust in the sovereignty of God. Is God in control? Yes. Is God in control? God is in control. So you know what that means? That means that we can trust the faithfulness of God and we can't preach it on Sunday and not believe it on Monday. Doing everything I could not to bring him up today. But my son went to heaven on September 17th. God is sovereign. He knew it before the foundation of the world. We need to praise him anyway. And I'm so thankful that he closed his eyes on earth and he opened him up in glory. And the only reason I can still stand is because God is sovereign. Amen? So when you look around you and things aren't going the way you want, when you see uh, difficulties of life, when the election doesn't go the way you want it to, when the job promotion gets given to somebody else, when you're struggling with children, trust in the sovereignty of God because he is in control, he is faithful, and we can trust his character. Amen? Point number three, take no credit for what God has done. See, if there's any good in us, it's all because of the Lord. There's, no, there's nothing about me apart from God that is righteous. There's nothing about any of us apart from God that is righteous. So if God does something good in and through you, it's only by his grace that it happened. So to him and him alone be all the glory. So we don't praise men, we praise God. We don't magnify and lift up men, we lift up the name of Jesus. Amen? You've heard me say it many times. There's only one room for one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? So to him alone be all the praise. And we're not trying to build Calvary Chapel. We want to build the kingdom of God. We're not trying to line people up under a ministry. We want people falling in love with Jesus. And guys, when we fall in love with Jesus, when we are are so passionate about him, we cannot help but be contagious. We can't help but share the hope that lies within us. We take no credit. We give God all the glory. It says in 2 Corinthians, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. And then finally, if you put feet to your faith. See, we don't only, don't only know what is good, but we do what is good. Now, good works will not save us. I had a couple Mormon gals come by my house the other day. Urson was there doing some electrical and I came out, he goes, yeah, and this is my pastor. And we started talking about the Lord and they kept talking about good works. And then when I was talking to them, they said, we're not here for you to preach to us. We're here to preach to you. <laughs> I said, I'm here to have a dialogue if you'd like to have one, but we're not, I'm not going to waste my, she goes, well, you just need to pray whether or not the book of Mormon is true. I said, I don't have to pray about that because it's not, it's a lie from the devil. It is not true. You need to pray that whether or not the Bible is true. And she's like, well, but why won't you pray? I said, the same reason I have to pray about whether my wife is my wife. I know she's my wife. And I know the Bible is the Bible. And I know that Jesus is the Jesus in the Bible, not the one made up by Joseph Smith, who is a false prophet, who's dead, burning in hell right now. But by the way, we love you and we're praying for you. <laughs> and we want to see you saved. Amen. But I just want to do good works. I said, faith, yeah, faith produces good works, but good works apart from faith will leave you in hell for eternity. Amen. So the reality is that we need to put feet to our faith, but too many professing Christians will make excuses for their behavior. And I love you. And look, I've done it. We've all done it. You know, when I'm talking to you, I'm speaking with you, not at you, right? Okay. I love you guys. I got it for 25 hours. You get it for an hour. I got beat up long before you did. Amen. But here's the reality is too many Christians will say, well, yeah, I love Jesus, but but this area of my life over here, I know the Bible says we're not to, but it's 2021, and yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but so what? Yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got a drinking problem, but so what? 
Yeah, I don't really pay my taxes because the government's filled with fraud and got a lot of problems, so what? And we'll, we'll know what the Bible teaches us to do, and then we will live contrary to it by making excuses. I want to tell you, as believers, there's no but in the Bible that matters except the one that says, but God, amen? amen? We're all sinners, we're all this, but God, who loved us, amen? So let's begin there. I always now, once you said, well, you just taught me the whole message already, <laughs> right? <laughs> because here's what we do here. We tell you what we're going to tell you, and then we'll tell you, and then we'll tell you what we told you at the end, amen? You know why? <laughs> because we forget, because repetition is good for us, amen? All right, let's begin there, looking at the humble heart of heavenly wisdom speaks well of others, beginning there in verse 11. It says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Humbling ourselves and getting right with God must result in our getting right with people. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a way to break that down. Love God and love people. Amen? We should be the most loving people on the planet. We should be so sweet that we give people uh, diabetes. Amen? I mean, we should just be loving and kind and gracious, and we should be the people who love everybody unconditionally. We're to love others the way Christ loves us. We're to forgive others the way Christ has forgiven us. And we are not to speak, uh, we're to speak well. Do not speak evil of one another. And James, it says, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. And again, as Christians, we all, we all love ourselves too much. The world tells us we need to esteem self. I'm getting sick of that, amen? Because here's the reality, we all esteem ourselves too much. I'm always on my mind, how about you? <laughs> amen? We're always thinking of ourselves. The Bible says to deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. I spoke at a Christian college that was heavily filled with psychology majors, and I was teaching through a text where it talked about denying self, and I said, you guys esteem yourselves too much, and half the people got up and walked out, because they said, we teach self-esteem around here. I said, therein lies the problem, because guys, we all have a problem. We all think about ourselves too much. We're all filled with pride. Isn't it interesting that, you know, for the word flesh, you take the H out and turn it around itself. The middle letter in sin is I. The middle letter in pride is I. Guys, it's all about us, and we got to die. When I do marriage counseling, I always tell them, you both got to die every day. You got to die to yourself. You got to esteem the other person greater than yourself. And we're living in a time right now where everybody wants to be, you know, how many likes do you have? How many followers do you have? How many clicks did you get on your... Who's, how many TikTok people, whatever. And we think that that defines success. The only, the only person we don't need followers, we need to be following Jesus, amen? But don't speak evil of your brother. And the enemy wants to divide the body of Christ. And he wants us to fight over non-salvation non, you know, issues. Well, I heard at your church, you have the drums. Those are from the devil, Tad and I both know that's not true. Amen? <laughs> oh, you guys do. You don't wear a tie at church? You don't respect God. Then you give him a Bible verse. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Guys, we're not to be speaking evil of one another. We're not to be tearing each other down. We're called to be building each other up. Amen? We should be able to be transparent to come to each other and say, man, I'm struggling. I'm going through a difficult time. Can you pray for me? And trust that you'll not only pray with them, continue to pray for them, and won't pick up the phone and start calling everybody to tell people what a person's struggle is. We're not to speak evil of one another. The word speak evil means to slander or defame. If we truly love one another, we will not go around and slander their character to others, exposing or uncovering their sin. Whenever I think of that, I think of in Genesis, if you guys remember after Noah you know, was on the ark. He, he literally got drunk and he was laying naked. And his son Ham went and, you know, was mocking and making fun of his dad for what had happened. And as he made fun of his dad, his other two sons, Shem and Japheth, took a, 
blanket, if you will, and they walked backward not to see their father's nakedness, and they covered it up. See, so are you somebody running around exposing when someone has done something that's, that's difficult or horrible or needs forgiveness? Or are you the one that is covering them up and ministering to them? Amen? It gives a whole new meaning to where God you covered. Amen? And, and Shem, Shem and Japheth lovingly covered their father's sin and shame, uh, and they were blessed by God. A humble heart filled with heavenly wisdom seeks not to humiliate a brother struggling in sin, but to come alongside him and be a source of encouragement and accountability. Don't, again, don't tear each other down, build each other up. By the way, the church is not supposed to be a police station. You don't come here to get beat with a stick. Amen? You come here, this is a hospital. This is where hurting people come to be ministered to and to be made well. And guess what? Our Savior is the great physician. Amen? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The word do not seek evil or speak evil, excuse me, again, to slander, defame, it does not mean that we need to be silent or condone others' sin. See, here's the, here's the, here's the struggle, okay? There's two extremes. You're on one extreme where you're pointing at everybody's sin all the time, and you point yourself to judge, and you're a self-righteous uh, legalist. You're a Pharisee who used to go around and, how many, you know, did you tithe out of all of your pepper? You know what I mean? They'd go around, and they'd be straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. But here's the reality. The one extreme is you look for everyone else's sin, and you become the judge. And the other extreme is, oh, we can't judge anything as being wrong or sinful. We just have to love everybody enough to just say nothing about their sin. There was a lady at the church I pastored in Santa Cruz, and after every message, she would come up and say, you said some things about sin again today. You need to preach nothing but love. Stop. I said, well, is our God a God of love? What's the answer? Is he also a righteous God? What's the answer? Okay. So both of those are true. So the one thing is that we should not speak evilly of each other. We shouldn't be slandering each other. We shouldn't be tearing each other down. But we should also love each other enough that if we see our brother struggling or our sister struggling, Matthew 18, we go to them one-on-one, -on -one, and in a loving and a kind way, we put our arm around them, but we tell them the truth. Amen? You've heard me say it, Christians don't stab each other in the back, they stab each other in the front. Amen? I mean, you come right to them and tell them, hey, bro, and again, I would invite you to do that in my life, and we should love each other enough to be uncomfortable sometimes. Amen? I don't want to judge anybody. That's not my job. But I do want to love people enough that if they're struggling, and it's amazing, sometimes it's not even, it's thrust upon you. I'll never forget one time I was in downtown Santa Cruz. I didn't go to downtown Santa Cruz a lot. I'm not even sure why I was down there. I was walking along the Pacific Garden Mall, and I saw this guy coming toward me, kissing on this woman. And then he turned and looked at me, and it was a guy from our church who was married, and it was not his wife. And when he saw me, I thought he was going to have a stroke. Because probably the last guy you want to see when you're sucking face with someone who's not your wife is your senior pastor. Now, should I have just lovingly went, oh, I just love that brother and keep walking? What do you think? No. Need to love him enough that all I did was just kind of, and he went to go around me, saw who I was, and I'm like, bro. And then I looked at her and I said, so does your wife and four kids? know that you know this woman, just in case she didn't know. We had a long talk. She left. He wept with me. I prayed with him. Two days later at church, he was sitting with his wife. We had some counseling. They're still married. God can, amen? amen. See, but we need to love each other enough. Don't be self-righteous. I never used his name. I never will. No one else knows who it is but me. But the point I'm making is, though, we need to love someone enough to tell them the truth. Don't speak evil of them, but it does not mean condone all their sinful behavior. And act like it's no big deal. But I, don't, I think that's less of the issue typically for us than speaking to, about things that we shouldn't. We need to handle it in a humble way from a biblical perspective, seeking not to destroy but to restore our brother. Notice it says there, one another at the end of that verse. In the middle of that verse. Do not speak evil of one another. It refers to a person, not their actions. So we can address actions with the person but that doesn't mean we're tearing the person down, right? We're, we're saying, look, this behavior is unacceptable to God. This behavior, you need to repent. This behavior needs to stop. And we're really addressing the person's behavior. And again, we, want, we need want to, 
love the sinner and hate the sin. Amen? We want to minister to people. We want to be kind and loving to them. We don't want to be self-righteous or arrogant because we're all sinners. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And we need to make sure that we're kind and loving. It does not mean that we should not lovingly and biblically confront a brother or sister who is in sin, especially walking in habitual sin without any brokenness or conviction. The Word of God commands that we confront such a brother. Pray with them, encourage them, and if necessary, there may be a time where you need to confront them. And as a pastor, that's happened many times in my life. But come lovingly. You know, I've learned this in counseling people for 30 plus years, that people, you can tell anybody anything as long as they know you love them. Amen? When my kids were growing up, when I would discipline them, I would say, you know, daddy loves you, right? Yeah, daddy, I know you love me. Well, because I love you, go grab the wooden spoon and I'll meet you in the laundry room. You know what I mean? But, but because I love you, you know, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, right? So I don't think you've earned, it's hard to earn the ability to speak in someone's life if you've never shown them any love. Amen? It's hard for you to, that's why fellowship is so important. Are we not a big family here? This is a big family. And I love you guys so much I can hardly stand it. And I would rather be here with you than anywhere on the planet. And it's my blessing and privilege to serve you because we're a big family. Amen? But guess what? Family, people go through trials. People go through struggles. But that's when you can minister to each. And by the way, you guys have been ministering to my family in a big way. Thank you so much. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it. But that being said, we need to show people love. And when you show people love, then you can speak into their lives. Amen? And if you don't show them love, you really are gonna have, they're going to have a hard time receiving anything you have to say. Again, not arrogantly or self-righteously talking to anyone who will listen. Love covers a multitude of sin, but never condones it. Go to them one-on-one, and only if they reject your counsel and deny they need to repent. Then Matthew 18 says, if there's somebody else that you know, not the whole crowd, that says, seeing that same behavior, you go to them with two people. And then if they still won't, God, lovingly enough, you bring me, bring it to the leaders of the church, and then we address it. You know what I mean? And so our heart is to bring restoration. The reason God disciplines us is not to destroy us, but to restore us. And Matthew 18 can even get to the point where you stand in front of the whole church. But again, that's a rare thing in a lot of ways. But the reality is that we should begin by loving people first. Some of loving, again, when loving, lovingly being confronted will give you the judge not lest ye be judged. Don't be judging me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend and my, you know, I'm cheating on my wife? That's really none of your business. Well, okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it my business enough just to speak into your life because I know that you continue down this path. It's going to get a lot worse. Amen? The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And if you continue down a road where you're walking in open rebellion, you've heard me say it a hundred times, one more won't hurt you. You know, the law and the word of God is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm. And I would hope if you saw a bus driving off a cliff, you'd do everything you can to stop it. And sadly, when we see people, this is talking about brethren, people proclaiming to be Christians, and they're driving off a cliff, it should be our heart to do everything we can to stop them before it's too late. Amen? But do it in love. Don't speak evil of people. Don't be that self-righteous person who's judging everyone else, but be someone who loves people enough. Notice what it says there. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. The context, he who self-righteously slanders his brother to all who will listen and arrogantly judges the heart, motives, and even salvation of his brother. People will come and say, well, if you do that, you must not be saved. And look, by our fruit they shall know us. But do all of us have moments where if somebody saw it, they might think you weren't saved? Amen? The guy cutting you off on the freeway? Videotape was playing? That guy's not saved, right? The way you interact with your spouse sometimes, the way that you may be at work. All these different, there's areas where we, you can look at our worst moment and people will think that we're not saved. 
But it's not our job to look at someone in their worst moment and judge their salvation. Instead, here, I love what John Corson does. He assumes everybody's saved. So he'll be at the gas station pumping gas, and the guy's next to him will go, hey, bro, can you do me a favor? And he's like, what, can you pray for me today? I'm actually going to speak at a conference. I could use some prayer. And the guy's like, what? You know, but I... I <laughs> I would rather assume everybody's saved and, and then watch how God opens doors, amen? Because the guy's like, well, I actually don't pray. Oh, you don't pray. Well, I, th- I figured you probably knew the Lord. You don't know the Lord. Let's talk about that, right? <laughs> opportunities. Opportunities for the gospel. Let's treat people with love and grace and mercy. I'd rather err on the side of being too gracious than being too self-righteous. Amen? I'd rather stand before God on judgment day and say, you were too gracious to that guy. Okay. Lord, I got a lot of correction coming on Judgment Day. How about you? I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be judged whether or not I'm saved. That's been settled at the cross. Amen? That's the great white throne judgment. We're skipping that. Amen? The Bema Seat judgment, he will judge us how, how faithful we've been with the gifts he's given us. So here we are, and he's, I love this exhortation. Again, if you speak evil of your brother, you're judging the law. He speaks evil of the law. He slanders the law. He's slandering the word of God. He's making the decision for what the law means for this other person. And again, we need to speak into people's lives. We don't want to water down the word of God. We don't want to uh, condone sinful behavior. But we need to start with everybody from a heart of love. We need to be praying for them. We need to come ministering to them with a heart of a servant. We need not be slandering them and running around and telling the world what they're struggling with. You know what? I've only had one judge I'm worried about, and his name's Jesus Christ. Look, I know a lot of pastor friends and a lot of them, they're not some, several who aren't Calvary Chapel guys, and they'll tell me that they're afraid to speak about certain things in front of their fellowship because they might lose their job. They might, they might uh, have people leave. If the tithing goes down, their denomination might take the church from them. That's the great thing about planting churches. None of you were here before me, and I have a full-time job, so you can't even fire me. How about that? <laughs> just, just can't do it. And we don't have, we vote on nothing around here because the only time I see them voting in the Bible, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Amen? So the reality is, we don't vote, we just follow. Amen? And because I know that Jesus is my judge, when I teach you guys, I hope you know it's from a heart of love. But every time I open up the Word of God and teach it, the one I'm accountable to is Him. And I'm going to be faithful to Him, even if it hurts your feelings a little bit, okay? And if your toes get stepped on, you're standing in the wrong place. Amen? Because the Word of God will bring transformation in our lives. And it's the Word of God that we will teach without compromise. Amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God. Amen? And so we need to be in the Word. A humble heart speaks well of others. It doesn't slander others. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, the Bible tells us. And I love one of the things that Pastor Chuck spoke about, and I'll never forget it. And I, you know, I pray that someday I can be half the man he was. But one of his closest friends he found out was a, an elder in their church had, was, had left his wife and had moved in with another woman. This is 30 years ago. Pastor Chuck tells the story that he drives over to the house where they moved in. The lady opens the door. First, he recognizes, not that this matters. He's like, she's not even as pretty as his wife. I don't understand this. He goes in and sits on the sofa, and without saying a word, he weeps for minutes. He can't even say anything to his dear friend. He is so heartbroken. He doesn't get self-righteous. He's not pointing fingers. He's not screaming at him. He just comes in and weeps. He gets up and leaves. The following Sunday, the guy's back in church with his wife, and their their marriage was restored. See, when we come to minister to people, we need to do it in gentleness and kindness and in love. Amen? Again, there's times when the harsh, hard words have to come out. But again, even then, that should be delivered from a heart of love. So point number one there, he speaks well of others. Let's continue on in that verse 12. It says, or, but if you do judge the law, you are a doer of the law, but a judge. You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. As Christians, we have a clear and divine command from Almighty God in regards to the law. We're called to obey it. We're called to be doers of the law, not hearers only. And true belief is reflected in behavior. Our relationship to the law is not to judge it or change it, but to obey it. So we don't read the law and try to interpret it to make it fit the lifestyle we want to live. 
People get, keep sending me uh, clips of, and I won't call them pastors, but people speaking who come from a perspective where they believe there's many paths to God and they reject the deity of Jesus Christ and they will say things that are just complete and total nonsense because they're trying to change the word of God to condone their lifestyle. So they have their lifestyle, then they try to make the word of God fit it. Guys, we don't want the word of God to fit our lifestyle. We want our lifestyle to fit the word of God. We want to be obedient people to what the word of God says. It's not just enough to know what the word says, or even to say we believe what the word says, but we need to be obedient to do what the word says. Amen? And that's the exhortation here in this, in this text, to faithfully obey it. When we attempt to judge or change it, we're taking the place of God. You know who interprets the Bible? The, the author. Amen? The one who wrote it. And that's the Lord. The command is clear. Love your brother. Don't speak evil of him. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? See, the, the love that we have, they shall know us by the love we have one for another. So when we love each other, people look and say, why, why are these people so different? Why do these people love each other so much? What do they all have in common? We have the Lord in common. Amen? At the same time, don't Christians battle and fight with each other over non-essentials? Uh, as a pastor, I get those calls all the time. Well, I'm going to sit down with you, and once I explain this to you more effectively, your theology is going to change. On a Dude, when's the last time you witnessed to somebody? I'm, I'm, I'm winning. You're not winning. I'm already saved, bro. You need to go reach people who are lost. Amen? And there's this mentality where we want to have, and again, there's nothing wrong with having biblical discussions. We should do that. But when we get to the point where we're self-righteous and we're the one with all the answers and we're going to go fix everyone else's theology, and here's the reality, all our theology is going to get fixed when we get to heaven, amen? We're all going to be instructed by the Lord. He says there in verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now again, we need to make sure we don't lose sight of that. Because it can be the, don't be judging me, man. Whatever life I want to live, it's all good. Again, if I love you enough and the bus is driving off a cliff, I'm going to try to stop you. Amen? But I'm not going to be self-righteous. And I'm not going to be arrogant. And I'm not going to be the judge. I'm going to point him to the one who is. And I'm going to do it in a loving and a kind and a gracious way. He says, who is able to save and to destroy Jesus alone has the authority to save those who repent and to judge those who refuse to repent. Amen? Those poor Mormon girls, pray for them. So sweet. You'd love to have them as neighbors. Probably mow your lawn when you're at work. Amen? You know, they're just like, can we do anything for you? Can we help you? Can we do anything for you? And they didn't even have a Bible. All they have was the Book of Mormon. And I said, so if it's the Bible or the Book of, Mo oh, Book of Mormon, I said, well, there you go. So you're putting your faith in Joseph Smith, not in Jesus. Well, we believe in Jesus, and they have all that, the diatribe. But the point I'm making, what's, what's so important to understand is we, you know, we need to point people to the only one who ultimately can judge. Amen? It's the Lord. That's why I don't even like to say God. I say Jesus. Because God could be Muhammad to somebody. God could be one of the 30 million Hindu gods. God can be the, the, a guru in the New Age movement. Uh, some people believe that they're God. Let's fix that. You're not, they're, there's a, two undeniable facts. There's a God and you're not him, amen? And Jesus alone, and it's his name, and there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, amen? So we want to love people. We want to be kind. We want to be gracious, gracious, and we want to point them to Jesus. And we're not the ones to judge. He is. God alone is the creator. He alone is the judge. There's too many people voting today on what they think the Bible means. You know what? Just let, let the lion out of the cage. Amen? Open up the Bible. Open it. Read it. Obey it. We don't need to try to, to fix it again or transform it to a way that makes it easy for us. Notice it says there, there's one lawgiver who is able. The word able there is dunamai, where we get the word dunamos, where we get the word dynamic or dynamite. And it's the same word, form of the word that says, go and wait and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that power is the power to transform, a power that God, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and it transforms who we are. And he said, he is the one who is all powerful. 
He is the one who is able to judge. He and he alone. Guys, we need to be talking more about Jesus and less about ourselves. Amen? Who are we to judge one another? For us to judge another's heart or standing before God is to take the place of God. While we are to lovingly and privately come alongside a brother or sister struggling in sin, we are to leave all the judgment in the hand of God. I'm glad the judge has forgiven me. How about you? His word tells us, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. saved. It doesn't say that's step one. It says you're saved. You're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. You're going to heaven. Point number one of a humble heart speaks well of others, leaves the judgment in the hand of God, and there's such a temptation to tear each other down, but God wants us to build each other up. Number two, trust in the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 13. Come now who say, today or tomorrow... We'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Now, planning is okay. I think it's okay to plan. I think we should plan. That being said, with every plan, we should begin with if the Lord wills. Amen? Amen? If the Lord wills, if this is God's plan... Now, God slapped me pretty hard on this one. Most of you have heard this before. The church I pastored in Santa Cruz, if I said it once, I said it a hundred times. I will be here till the Lord comes back or until I die. Uh, no. <laughs> meant it, and my whole heart was, we planted this church. I'm not looking to go anywhere else. I love you guys. I have no other passion or desire. I'm staying till Jesus comes back. Well, I see Jesus moved us on. So I don't say that anymore. Here's what I'll say. If the Lord wills, I want to stay here and pastor this church until the Lord comes back or until I die. If the Lord wills. But if the Lord says, go to China tomorrow, we're going to pack our stuff and go. Amen? See, if the Lord wills, if this is what the Lord wants. Now, you'll hear people on Christian television say, if you say, if the Lord wills, it shows you're faithless. You need to command that God does this. Uh, uh, no. We never tell God what to do. Amen? Because we're all idiots compared to God. Amen? He's infinite. We're finite. He's the creator. We're the created. It's like a rock telling God what to do. No. So we come humbly before him and he, look, he already knows our heart, but we can come humbly and say, Lord, my desire is this. And if this is your will, that would be amazing. But Lord, if it's not, I don't want it. I really would love this promotion at work, but Lord, if that's going to draw me away from you and take time away from my family, Lord, you know what's best for me. I just want to put this in your hands. I know you already have the answer. Just show me, Lord. If it's your will, I would love to have that promotion, but Lord, if it's not, I don't want it. So Lord, your will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? And we sometimes pray that, but we really are just like trying to cover the bases because we really still want it anyway. Amen? But we need to get to that place where we want God to do in our lives whatever he wants to do. And we're going to praise him anyway. Amen? It's, not, it's easier said than done. Come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow. There are areas of our lives that we want God to have control over. We love that he, he yeah, we got to get out of hell free card. I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I'm going to heaven. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've got that, Lord. You can hold on to that for me. Amen. The Bible says there's angels watching over us. Hey, praise the Lord. I'm glad that you're watching over and caring for me. Uh, uh, should I date this unsaved girl? But she's really pretty, though. You cover the, the eternal stuff. Let me just cover the next 50 years. No. We need to surrender our lives to the Lord. Does he know what's best for you? And a way of transgressor is hard. And sometimes... Our flesh wants what our flesh wants, but our flesh needs to be put to death. Amen? And we need to say, if it's your will. When it comes to making plans for our lives and our futures, we just as soon come up with our own. God looking forward to heaven, but I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the here and now. So there's three ways, as you'll see in this text, when it comes to God's will, how people respond. The first way is they ignore it. While the word of God does not condemn 
planning for the future. James here rebukes the kind of heart that makes its plans apart from the constant awareness. Notice what they say here in verse 13. Today and tomorrow we will go in such and such a place. We'll spend a year there. We'll buy and sell and make a profit. Who's not mentioned there? The Lord. There's nowhere, hey, if this is what the Lord wants, this is what we will do. If this is God's plan for my life, then I want to do that. They're just saying, we've made up our mind. We're going to do this. We're moving to Idaho or Texas or Arizona. If God tells you to go, God bless you. Go and be warm and be filled. But California needs Christians, amen? And we need, some of us need to stay here. But if God tells me to move tomorrow, of course, we'll move. But the point is here that, that God wants us to bring everything before his throne. And he wants us to surrender every decision we make in life. Does God care about where we work? What's the answer? Does he care about uh, whether or not we move? He does. And if you pray and God leads you, go. But let's make sure we don't say, well, today and tomorrow, hey, hey, I was on, uh, you've heard me say this, be moved by the Holy Spirit, not by Zillow. Amen. Right? <laughs> My buddy just bought a house in Texas for 200 grand. He's got 100 acres and a jet. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm out of here. And we're led, we're so led by our flesh so often, right? But we want, guys, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And sometimes the enemy wants to draw you away because you're focused on your comfort. You're not as focused on your character or your calling. Amen? Well, are you going to be comfortable when you retire? Isn't that a question you always get? Are you going to be able to be comfortable when you retire? First of all, we never retire and we should never be comfortable. Amen? As far as serving the Lord. He cares about where I live, where I work. He cares about where we go to church, uh, what school our kids go to, uh, whether or not I should buy this. He cares about all of that. And so what do we do? We, We should come humbly before the Lord and we should lay all of it at his feet. Because here's what happens. When you do it on your own and it falls apart, often you want to blame God. Amen? Well, I don't know why God would let this happen to me. I thought he loved me. Thanks, God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you pray about it beforehand? Well, not really. It was just something I thought made a lot of sense to me. And guys, it can make all kinds of sense to you, but you still need to get on your knees and make sure that it's what God wants. Amen? And sometimes you're going to say no to things that make no sense to the world, but God is faithful. It's so foolish for us to make plans apart from seeking his will. It is when we go our own way, set our own path, that we end up, we end up in, in trouble. It says in Proverbs 13, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his paths. Should we give him our lives? Have we given him our lives? If you've given your life to the Lord, it wasn't just, again, I'm giving my life to you now, so when I die, whether it's in a day, a week, a month, or 50 years from now, I'll get heaven. No, I'm giving you my life now, which means you can do with it whatever you want to until I get to heaven. And I get heaven too. Amen? That was kind of quiet. Amen? That means you give your life to him now. You know what it means? It means you give your children to him now. It means it all belongs to him. And even when it hurts, you st- we still praise him. Amen? But it's still his. We trust him. Our kids were our ki- his kids before they were ours. The, the talents and gifts we have belong to the Lord. Let's use them for his kingdom and his glory, not our own. Amen? That's the exhortation here. The noted plans for the future are all worldly. And Jesus is not mentioned here once. Lord, help us. Forgive me. Thank you. All our plans must begin and end with the Lord. Amen? Don't ask 50 people's opinion and then go, oh, oh I guess I have, to, I have nothing left to do, but I guess I'll just pray. I hear people say that to me. Well, I've tried everything else. I guess I better call the pastor. Oh, can we pray for me now? I've tried everything else. <laughs> Prayer should come first, not last. Amen? Seek first the kingdom of God. How much time is spent in prayer? How much of your thought process revolves around the Lord? I was just sharing this yesterday with somebody that, you know, uh, each of my kids, I'd go into the room and pray for their spouse from the day they were born. And I remember when I, I met Kevin and 
my son-in-law, and I gave him a hard time before we got there because he was trying to date my baby girl, so you know how that went. But I said, if he can get, he's got to get through me. He's got to get through what, you know. And on their wedding day, I said, I, you're an answer to 19 years of prayer. See, we need to be praying not just for today. We need to pray for the future. We need to pray for our kids, our grandkids. We need to pray for our unsafe family and friends. We need to pray for our coworkers. We need to be praying for people that no one's praying for. Amen? When's the last time you prayed for Gavin Newsom? Oh. Love everybody, not that guy. Amen? Amen? Let's be praying for everybody. Somebody gave me a paperweight years back. It's on my desk still. It says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Bible says, again, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So every plan, every thought, every hope must start with him. Amen? Now why? Verse 14. Look what it says. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is a vapor and appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Our lives here are so short compared to eternity. Amen? It is but a vapor. Think about heaven and how we'll be there forever and ever and ever and ever. I saw a thing online and it had a finger with like four, four grains of sand on it. It said, this is your life. And then it had like the Sahara Desert. And this is eternity. See, our life is just this. And it's eternity that matters. Amen? And we need to live our life every day in light of eternity with a focus on eternity. Our life is but a vapor. Whenever I think of that, I think of the steam coming out of a tea kettle, right? The, it makes the noise. You see the steam come out. But how long does that vapor last? Not very long. Pouring forth and but a moment gone forever. We have so little time to serve the Lord. May we not spend it pursuing that which is perishing. We can spend all our time, again, being comfortable. And again, look, there's nothing wrong. with You should have a job. You should be the best worker there. Amen. You should get there early, stay late, be the best worker in the building, honor God, and do, do your job to please Jesus. And when you please Jesus, you'll be a blessing to your boss, you'll be a blessing to your coworkers, you'll be a blessing to the company. Amen? So we should do that. But everything we do also should be done in light of eternity. Shouldn't just be, I'll take that job because it pays the most money. That might be where God wants you. But maybe God wants you over here in a place where he's going to use you more to impact people for the kingdom of God. Again, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. We have so little time, may we spend it, again, on not, not on that which is perishing. Jesus shared a parable in Luke chapter 12. The land of a certain rich man was very productive and began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down all my barns and build larger ones. Then I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And, that, and who will own the stuff you have prepared? You know, I've had a lot of people close to me pass away and go to heaven. And you go, when you go back and you look at their stuff, it's, it's hard to, you know, you, you pick through their stuff and even little things become more important, don't they? But, but you look at their stuff and you realize they don't care about any of this stuff anymore. Amen? They're in heaven. They're not bummed that they're missing out on the barbecue we had yesterday. Because heaven's better. Amen? And the things that we are bummed, oh, I'm not going to see this person get married or have kids, and I would have loved to. And, we, and we're bummed because we miss it, but they're not bummed because they miss it, because when you're in heaven, it's better. Amen? Amen. And so we, we, we make the mistake of focusing on the temporal things when what really matters is the eternal one. Amen? Be faithful in the temporal, but notice what really matters is the eternal. Our time here is brief. You could die today. The whole church could be raptured today. I'm, I'm in. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We must be so, not be so foolish as to ignore his will. So some people ignore his will. For today tomorrow, I'm doing this, and here's my 10-year plan, and here's where I'm going, and this is what I'm going to do next. And they just plan it all out, and they write it all down. And, I'm a, and again, nothing wrong with planning, but if the Lord wills, you leave that out, you're ignoring God's will. Secondly, obeying God's will. Look, it says in verse 15, 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. John chapter 4, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I can say this, there is no better place to be than in the center of God's will. Amen? There's just no better, there's no better place to be than to know that I'm doing what God has called me to do, where God has called me to do, at least for now. Amen? And there's a peace and a joy in being in the center of God's will. And you'll be challenged by others. I have somebody who I love who says, it doesn't matter what you do. You can live wherever you want, do whatever you want. The same people are going to get saved anyway, so you don't have to do anything. And all this, you know, you study and you have a job and you do all this stuff. You can just lay on the beach and the same thing will happen. Show me a Bible verse for that. Go and be lazy. You know, it says, right? Go and lay on the beach. You know who says that? The enemy. He wants you to check your faith at the door and be a Christian for an hour and a half on Sundays and then go to the work world and just be like the world at work and be like the world in your neighborhood and have no impact on eternity. But oh, I'm hanging on to my get out of hell free card. I got a saved soul and a wasted life. Amen? But again, our heart ought to be, Lord, I want to obey. Not my will. What did Jesus say? Not my will, but thy will be done. The humble heart of heavenly wisdom trusts fully in the sovereignty of God. If the Lord wills, recognizes that our lives are in his hands. As Christians, Jesus must be more than Savior. He must be Lord. Amen? He's, he's more than Savior. He's the Lord of our life. We surrender our lives fully to him. We don't want to make God a part of our plan. We want to be a part of his. Amen? Hey, God, here's my plan. I need you to get on board. No, no. Lord, what's your plan? I want to get on board. I want to follow you. A humble heart trusts in the sovereignty of God. It realizes his complete and total reliance upon the Lord. Times of difficulty gives us an, an, uh, an increased awareness of our total reliance upon the Lord. The toughest moments are the greatest times of reliance when we're desperate for God. Point C there, it takes no credit for what God has done. Look at verse 16. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is what? Evil. Put another letter in front of that, it's devil, devil, amen? And all such arrogance is evil. You would think that arrogance is something everyone is striving for if you look at the world around us, amen? People love to tell you how amazing they are. They'll tell you on and on about how amazing you are. Guys, we don't want to tell anybody how amazing you are because we're not amazing, but our Savior's amazing. And we want to make sure that they walk away. I hope they forget my name and remember his. Amen? We don't want to prop ourselves up. We want to point people to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God, creator of all things. He and he alone should be wor is worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored and glorified. And we need to get out of the way, less of us and more of him. Amen? And that's the exhortation. It's arrogance. It's, 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 it's evil. Being arrogant is evil. It's opposite of a humble heart. It's a prideful and arrogant heart. Arrogance demonstrated not only in making plans without seeking God, but in our boasting as if we've accomplished anything apart from God. The Bible says without him we can do nothing. nothing. And nothing in a religious language means nothing. So any good thing that if you're a, if you're a gifted musician, God gets the glory. But I practice a lot, and well, you should, and God bless you for doing that, but God gets the glory anyway, amen? If you're a great engineer, if you're good in construction, if you're, if you're great with numbers, if you're, if you're an amazing parent, amen? God gets all the glory, and we need to come to others in humility. It never ceases to amaze me how prideful people can be about their abilities and accomplishments, bragging about their business dealings, their acquired wealth, their athletic abilities. It happens even in the church. Be careful. People start to idolize, oh, that, that, that Christian rock band is amazing. And you start to idolize. No. God bless them. God's using them. Praise the Lord. Sinners saved by grace like the rest of us. Amen? And any talent we get comes from the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? Again, it's so easy to take credit. It's so easy to listen to people tell you how gifted you are, how amazing you are, and, what, you know, and, and be careful. And sometimes people mean it sincerely. 
People come up to pastors. Well, that was an amazing message you taught today. Well, if it was amazing, then God taught it, and I was just standing there. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Amen? That was an amazing thing you did here. That was amazing how you helped those people. That was amazing, okay? But praise God, give the glory to the one to whom it's all due. Amen? Praise his name and his name only. Pride is an attribute we loathe in others, but we struggle with ourselves. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. It says in Galatians, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. There is nothing in ourselves that we can boast of, for nothing in ourselves comes from us. Galatians 5.26. Therefore, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Amen? You know, when, you know when it's hard not to boast is when you're like in a work environment or somebody's bragging about something they've done and your flesh wants to one-up them. And you've met that person. Have you ever met that person? No matter what you tell them about, they'll, they'll quickly tell you something they've done better. Have you met them? They're not your friends because you can't handle it. You, can't, you don't want to be around them. But what they do, you know, if you say, hey, we, you know, and you're just not a bragging, you're saying, yeah, we just got back from Hawaii. You know, well, I just spent, you know, seven months on the Riviera or whatever, right? Oh, you know, hey, my, hey, I'm going to my son's little league game. Well, my son's preaching in the major leagues. Hey, well, I went over here. Well, I'm going to the moon next month. Whatever you say. <laughs> you know, those, we all know those people, right? And they just want to, it's always got to turn the focus back on them. And you know what? Let it. I don't care. Here's what I want to say to them. I'm going to the moon next month. Hey, guess what? You can go a lot further. It's called heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Let's point them to Jesus. It's not about us. We don't have to one-up them. We don't have to drive a better car, live in a better house. None of that. Who cares? We want to point people to Jesus. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? We had to sell my parents' house. That was hard. Ah, It's a house. Amen? Some of that stuff that we want to hold on to, and they have good memories. I'm not saying it's all bad, but in the end... My parents don't care about the blue house and the mountains in, in heaven right now because they're in heaven and heaven's better. Amen? Last verse. Put feet to your faith. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is what? Uh-oh. You know what this says? James knows that it is far easier to think about and talk about humility and dependence upon God than it is to live it. And yet he makes it clear that to know God's plan in heart and not to do it is sin. So the third thing we see here, we saw that people ignore the word and obey the word, but then there's people who disobey the word. They know what it says and they just decide to do contrary to it. And by the way, this makes the inference that not only what the Bible says clearly in black and white, but God may convict you to do something that aligns with the word and you know the Lord's convicting you to do it. Go over to your neighbor's house and tell them about the Lord. Go over to the neighbor's house and tell them about the Lord. Is that consistent with what the Word of God would say? What's the answer? Yes. But have you ever had those convictions where the Lord's convicting you to do something? He says, if you know to do right and you don't do it, it's what? Sin. Sin. So we, the Word of God is the standard for everything. But then we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us who may prompt us to minister to somebody. And if we just walk in the other direction, we're disobeying the Lord. Amen. So it's not, we need to put feet to our faith. Look, if you read the Bible every day, the word of God is going to be the plumb line for everything. And the word of God is the truth. And the word of God is the standard. And everything is compared to the word of God. But God may also stir up your heart to do something specific. Go love on that person. Pick up the phone and call that person. Anybody ever had that where it prompts you to call somebody? You pick up the phone and call them and it's such a God thing because they needed a phone call at that moment. Amen. So we need to be sensitive. We need to know what the Word of God says, but also be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to obey Him. Amen? Amen. Not just in the great things, where to live, where to work, who to marry, what ministry I'm called to serve, but we need to be humble before the Lord, even in the smaller things. There's sins of commission by things we do, but there's also sins of omission where we don't do what God has called us to do. He may prompt you. Guys, the only way, because here's the reality. God's always speaking. We're just not always listening. And the closer we are to the Lord, we can hear him whisper. Amen? 
If we're we're in the word and we're spending time on our knees and we're seeking the Lord, we can hear him say, go love on your neighbor. Hey, pick up the phone and call so-and-so. They need to be encouraged right now. You can also hear, hey, I've got your son. He's okay. Amen? We want to walk in intimate fellowship with God. We don't want to be so far away that he's yelling and we can't hear him. Amen? God's speaking. We need to start listening. Amen? So in closing, as we prepare for communion, the humble heart of a heavenly wisdom speaks well of others, leaves judgment in God's hands. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Not my will, but thy will be done. We see three different attitudes toward the will of God, ignoring God's will, obeying God's will, or disobeying God's will. A humble heart takes no credit for what God has done, gives God all the glory, and finally, a humble heart puts feet to its faith. Right now, we're going to go to a time of of communion and the Lord's Supper. And what we're doing is we're remembering the greatest act of love in all of human history. And so what we're going to do right now is the, the, the ushers are going to come and they're going to bring the elements to you. And what I want you to do is hold on to the elements, hold on to the cup, hold on to the, to the bread. And I would really encourage you to do these three things. I share it every time we have communion. Look back to the cross. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So as we're taking the elements, we're remembering the greatest act of love in all of human history when Jesus suffered and died that we might have eternal life. But not only look back to the cross, but look within. This should be a time of examination before the Lord. Lord, be there any wicked way in me. Lord, if there's an area of my life where I need to repent. Lord, if you've ministered to me by something taught in the word today, Lord, I come humbly before you. So it's a time to look back and to look within. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus said, the next time you take communion with me, we'll be in heaven. So we can look back and remember the cross. We can look within and examine our own hearts before God. We can also look forward to the fact that we're going to heaven. Amen. And we want to live every day in light of the fact that heaven is near. We want to be faithful until we get there. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We pray as we go this time of communion that we'd have intimate fellowship with you, that we would seek your face, that we would remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. And Lord, that we would examine our own hearts before you as well. Lord, be there any wicked way in us, show us. And Lord, we'd also be looking forward. Oh Lord, I look forward to heaven. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Lord, until you do, may we live every day in light of eternity, knowing the only thing we can take to heaven with us is people. Lord, be glorified, we pray as we come now to the, this Lord's table, reminded of being at the foot of the cross, Lord, looking up at the greatest act of love in all of human history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.